Gospels to Ezekiel, chapter 33, and we pick up at verse 21, reading to verse 33, the fall of Jerusalem and the folly of God's people. Ezekiel 33, beginning at verse 21. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped, and he had opened my mouth. So when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. And the word of the Lord came to be saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land. But we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes toward your idols and shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword. You commit abominations, and you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? Say thus to them, thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in the ruin shall fall by the sword, and the one who is in the open field I will give to the beasts to be devoured, and those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of the pestilence, for I will make the land most desolate, her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, when I have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So far, the reading of God's holy and inspired, inerrant word. What terrible grief there is for a Christian father whose son stubbornly refuses admonishment and correction. The father urges him to receive the word, but the son has little interest and does not embrace it. The father speaks repeatedly of the wonderful promises of the gospel, but the son says, so what? 
The father warns of the terrible consequences of sin, but the son says, what's the big deal? The father says, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? But the son says, don't worry, dad, I'm just fine. I can handle it. I like it this way. This is my kind of life. Proverbs 13, verse 1 says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. He is truly a foolish son who does not listen to his father's words of life and truth, a son who will surely experience numerous sorrows. Brothers and sisters, the nation of Israel at the time of Ezekiel was like a wayward foolish, rebellious son who refuses correction and admonishment. As a loving father, the Lord brought the truth and urged them to receive the word, but they would not receive it. He warned them of the terrible consequences of sin, but Israel said, so what? As a loving father, God said, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? But Israel said, I like this life. I enjoy the pleasures of sin. I don't want to change. I don't want to turn. I don't want to repent. As a foolish son experiences many sorrows, so the nation of Israel experienced many sorrows. Today we want to look at Ezekiel 33, verses 21 to 33, where we see the fall of Jerusalem and the folly of God's people. In these 13 verses, we find a message for the exiles, a message for Judah, and a message for Ezekiel himself. Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 21. A message for the exiles. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has been captured, struck down. Now just to refresh your memory for a moment, you'll recall that Ezekiel was 25 years old when he was led away into captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem in the year 597 B.C. and led a group of captives back to Babylon. Ezekiel was among the captives. After five years in Babylon, he was called by God to be a prophet to the exiles, to the Jews in Babylon. As you know, he had a very difficult task. He not only spoke as God's prophet, but he also acted out many of his prophecies. He used vivid illustrations to communicate God's message to his exiled people. His message was primarily one of judgment. Judgment and destruction. Because of the sins of God's people, Jerusalem is going to be utterly destroyed. Ezekiel proclaimed that message again and again and again. Jerusalem will be destroyed. Well now, in verse 21, we read that Ezekiel's prophecy has come to pass. A man who escaped from Jerusalem came to the river Chebar with a very sad message. The city has been captured. Literally, the city has been struck down. Keep your finger in at Ezekiel 33 or your bulletin and turn with me for a moment, please, to 2 Kings 25. 2 Kings 25. At this time in Judah's history, Zedekiah was on the throne 
When Ezekiel was brought away as a captive to Babylon in the year 597, King Jehoiachin was removed from the throne in Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and replaced with his uncle Zedekiah. Zedekiah reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years, but Scripture says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was God's evaluation of him. He was evil. Zedekiah liked his position as king and decided to rebel against the king of Babylon. Brothers and sisters, that was a big mistake. Chapter 25, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Now just hold it open there for a moment. Here we see God's covenant curse predicted in Deuteronomy 28 unleashed against the people of God. It is unleashed because of their sin and persistent disobedience. Verses 4 through 7 record how King Zedekiah tried to escape. However, he was captured, his army scattered, his sons killed before him, and his own eyes were then blinded, put out, and he was bound with bronze fetters and taken to Babylon. Then look in your Bibles at verse 9, 2 Kings 25, verse 9. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. Verse 10, and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. The following verses go on to record how the precious articles of the house of the Lord were carried to Babylon. Congregation, it's hard for us to even imagine the terrible sadness of that day. Death, destruction, hunger, fire, and the great temple, that magnificent structure reduced to ashes. Sorrow, wailing, despair, havoc. All of this came as no surprise to the prophet Ezekiel. He had been threatening God's punishment for some six or seven years. He warned about the siege, the famine in Jerusalem, and the many inhabitants that would be destroyed or scattered. Ezekiel said repeatedly, Jerusalem will be destroyed. Now, going back to our text, Ezekiel 33, 21. We read that a messenger arrived in Babylon from Jerusalem who confirmed everything that Ezekiel had been saying. Verse 21 tells us that the messenger arrived in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month. Since Jerusalem fell in the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah's rule, it would seem that it took approximately a year and a half for the messenger to reach the captives in Babylon. It's hard to say with certainty, but that seems to be what the text indicates. We know from the book of Ezra that this trip took about four months in a time of peace. This messenger that came to Babylon, the messenger of verse 21, had to travel in a time of war. 
To avoid being captured by the enemy, perhaps he had to hide for extended periods, waiting for an opportunity to get through. Then he had to travel on back roads, dodging enemy troops until he finally made his way to the Jewish exile community. Taking all of this into consideration, a year and a half still seems to be a very long time. Some commentators believe that the Hebrew text actually reads 11th year rather than 12th year in verse 21. That would make the trip some six months from the fall of Jerusalem, which seems to be a more reasonable length of time to make the journey. At any rate, it was, at the very least, several months after the fall of Jerusalem that the news finally reached the exiles. And when the messenger spoke of the destruction as an eyewitness, the Jews in exile had to admit that what the prophet had predicted for years had come to pass. Ezekiel was confirmed as a true prophet of the Lord. They had to acknowledge his prophetic insight. Jerusalem was no more. The city of God, the place where he had chosen to dwell, the place of worship, the place where the gospel was visibly proclaimed through the temple, its furnishing, sacrifices, and priesthood. The place which spoke of Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. The place which spoke of grace, mercy, forgiveness, life, fellowship with God. The place which represented God's covenant love. God dwelling with his people, Emmanuel, God with us. The place that shouted the good news, there is a way to be right with God. There is a way of reconciliation through the shedding of blood. Brothers and sisters, that place was utterly destroyed. For the faithful in Israel, this was far worse than just military defeat. It was God's hand against them. It was God's punishment. God had withdrawn his favor. Congregation, there are many things that people fear today, as you know. They fear terrorism, war, environmental disasters, strange diseases, COVID, AIDS, and so on. But there is nothing more fearful than to have God withdraw his favor from you and to raise his hand against you. Terrorism and bloody wars can certainly be frightening, but to know the anger of Almighty God against you is the most frightening of all. People can endure many trials and hardships when they know the loving presence of the Lord. Men and women have been through torture, sickness, accidents. Some of these people have been wonderfully sustained and comforted by the loving presence of their Savior. They've known the peace of God that passes understanding. But to have God withdraw His favor, what misery, what horrible wretchedness. Jerusalem had been the dwelling place of God, but it was no more. The people had wasted their privileges, disregarded the promises, and snubbed the gospel. And the Lord said, enough, enough. Instead of being with you, I am against you. Well, in verse 22, we read, 
that the hand of the Lord had been upon Ezekiel the evening before the messenger came who had escaped. And he had opened my mouth. So when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened and I was no longer mute. Ezekiel had been mute for quite some time. We don't know exactly the nature or extent of his muteness, for it seems as though he was never completely mute. The first time Ezekiel's muteness is mentioned is in chapter 3, verse 26. It is mentioned again after the death of his wife in chapter 24, verse 27. It seems that for this period of about six to seven years, the prophet was able to speak only when he received divine revelation only when he received divine revelation. He was able to deliver prophetic messages from God, but he was not able to speak in ordinary daily conversation. Whenever he was not speaking God's word, he was mute. He spoke nothing other than God's word as a sign to the captives that he was God's prophet of judgment. But now that the messenger brought the news of Jerusalem's destruction, Ezekiel's mouth was opened. His prophecies were fulfilled, Jerusalem was leveled, and his long period of muteness was ended. So that's point number one, a message for the exiles. The message was this, Jerusalem is struck down, fallen, a heap of rubble and ashes. God has smitten Jerusalem. God is against us. As we continue in our text, we see, secondly, a message for Judah. A message for Judah. Verse 23 tells us that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. At this time, he had to proclaim God's word to the people who remained in Israel after Jerusalem's demise. There were some who were not taken captive and were allowed to remain in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, instead of learning from the judgments of God and repenting of their sins, the people who remained in the land learned nothing at all. Their staggering national crisis created no change in their hearts whatsoever. Those who remained in the land decided to take advantage of the situation. They saw beautiful properties and possessions left behind by those forced into exile, and they began to grab what they could. And they were justifying their greed by using the language of Scripture. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 24. Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins of the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land. But we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. You see, they were justifying their land-grabbing greed by comparing themselves to Abraham. Were they not the remnant left by God to possess the promised land? If the one man, Abraham, had a right to the land, surely the many remaining had a right to it. Shouldn't they, who, who numbered in the thousands, have a greater right to the land? Brothers and sisters, their, their reasoning justified the opportunity to seize farms and homes which had belonged to others. Their argument was wrong, and Ezekiel had to tell them why it was wrong. They didn't deserve the land. 
Abraham was faithful to the Lord, and God blessed him and promised him the land. These descendants of Abraham were not faithful to the Lord. They were no more righteous than those who had been forced into exile. They were unfit to dwell in Jerusalem. They spoke of Abraham in verse 24, but they did not live like Abraham. They did not have the faith and obedience of Abraham. God told Ezekiel to proclaim their transgressions against them. Verse 25b, you eat meat with blood, contrary to the Levitical laws. You lift up your eyes towards your idols, contrary to the first and second commandments. You shed blood, contrary to the sixth commandment. Verse 26, you rely on your sword, contrary to the sixth commandment. You commit abominations and you defile one another's wives, contrary to the seventh commandment. Should you then possess the land? Notice how that question is asked twice. Verse 25, should you then possess the land? Verse 26, should you then possess the land? What's the obvious answer? Of course not. God said to those who remained in Judah, you want the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, but you don't want to live like your father Abraham. You want my gifts but you don't want my word. You want the privileges of the covenant, but you don't want to comply with the ethical demands of the covenant. You don't want to regulate your life by my law. Congregation, think about it. How many people are like that today? How many want the blessings of God without any commitment to God? How many want peace, happiness, real estate, homes, financial security, food, and clothing, but they have absolutely no regard whatsoever for Scripture? When God looks upon our nation, doesn't He say, you lift up your eyes toward your idols. You worship pleasure, sports, entertainment, money, and technology. You worship self. You shed innocent blood. You kill millions of your own children through abortion. You defile one another's wives. You're guilty of fornication, adultery, and homosexuality. Your devices are filled with pornography. Your theaters have nudity. You live and sleep together outside the sacred bonds of marriage. Should you then possess my blessings and gifts? In congregation, it's not just the world out there. These words were addressed to the church, the church of the Old Testament. It wasn't the Babylonians that Ezekiel was criticizing here in this passage. It was the church. It should cause us to ponder the question, how does the Lord evaluate His church today? How does he look upon the churches of our land? Does he look down and see people who want spiritual experiences, spiritual peace, spiritual joy, material prosperity, but have let very little concern for holiness? Does God look down upon the churches of North America and say, you lift up your eyes toward your idols. You don't give me your undivided allegiance. 
You want the blessings of the Christian faith while embracing the gods of the nations. You live like the world, look like the world, are amused by the sins of the world, and have worldly priorities. Should you then possess my blessings and gifts? Congregation, notice how the Lord Himself answers such questions. He had nothing but a solemn word of judgment for the people of Judah who remained in the land. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. Say thus to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword, and the one who is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured, and those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of the pestilence, for I will make the land most desolate." God declared that those who remained in the land would also fall because of their unrepentant sins. The destruction of Jerusalem had not humbled them or driven them to the Word. It had not produced positive fruits of self-examination or the fruits of righteousness. They had no right to the land. They had failed to learn important spiritual lessons from the fall of Jerusalem, and therefore God said, you shall likewise fall and perish. Congregation, if you know something about the natural condition of your own heart, then you must agree that we are often very slow to learn. We are often very slow to learn. Those who remained in the land saw their brothers led away in chains, but it did not change their own hard attitude. What do these stories of judgment do to you? What do these stories of judgment do to you? Are they nothing more than lessons in history, nothing more than a record of Jerusalem's fall? Are they just dusty stories of dim-witted people? Or do these historical counts of judgment teach you, challenge you, and most of all, do they change you? Do they remind you that the Lord is not a God to be trifled with? Do they challenge you to return to the Word, the law, the precepts of the Lord? Do they challenge you to forsake the false gods of this world and to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Dear friends, may we be challenged and changed through these sobering accounts of God's righteous judgments. We come then to our third point. We find in our text not only a message for the exiles, And a message for the people of Judah who were still in the land, but we also find a message for Ezekiel himself. A message for Ezekiel himself. Let's look together at verse 30. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Sounds positive, doesn't it? 
Sounds wonderful. The exiles were all talking about Ezekiel, and, the encur- and they were encouraging one another to come and hear him preach. He had suddenly become a rather popular preacher. In the past, many people had ignored him and even ridiculed him. But now that his prophecies had proven to be true, Ezekiel was a talk of the community. There was a new interest in his preaching. In the alleyways, the streets, gates, and doors of houses, people talked about him. Have you heard Ezekiel? Have you heard his latest sermon? You haven't? Well, then come along. He's a great preacher with some very interesting things to say. He's got a real way with words and some remarkable insights into the future. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this is every preacher's dream. People encouraging their friends, neighbors, and business associates to come and hear the excellent sermons. A preacher could hardly ask for more. Crowds coming to listen, friends and neighbors discussing the messages. Wonderful, wonderful. Or is it so wonderful? Verse 31. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but, what? But they do not do them. But they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Congregation, this is not a preacher's dream at all. This is a preacher's nightmare. Good sermon, pastor. Fine message. Amen. We'll be back again for your next message. Keep it up, preacher. And then they go home and do not change. They like the performance, the presentation. Perhaps they like the intellectual challenge. But then they go off and continue in the same old ways. They do not change. What passage in the New Testament does this remind you of? Perhaps you were already thinking about it, weren't you? James 1, verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Ezekiel's congregation was made up largely of spectators. He was their entertainment. They listened, enjoyed, and complimented him for his fine presentation, but they did not put his words into practice. They did not respond in faith, love, and obedience. There is nothing worse for a preacher than to have a congregation who come to be entertained or who come to hear thought-provoking statements. Or to come here and hear a theological discourse on this or that subject, but who do not practically apply the message in their home, marriage, shop, classroom, office, barn, factory, or on their school bus. God does not call and ordain preachers to be entertainers. He calls and ordains preachers so that hearts may be pierced, convicted, transformed, and radically renewed and prepared for loving and willing service. 
But notice, congregation, how they viewed Ezekiel's preaching. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. Ezekiel was to them as a skilled musician and singer, a performer. You've all been to concerts. A good concert can be a very enjoyable night out. To hear someone who can sing and play well is gratifying. But people often go home from concerts saying that was nice, but they have not changed the way they live as a result of the concert. They like the tunes and songs, they admire the skillful playing, but they're no different in their moral conduct from what they were before the concert. God said, Ezekiel, that's how the people are responding to you. Their interest in my word is extremely superficial. They hear your words, but they do not do them. Ezekiel, don't be flattered by your sudden popularity. Don't be flattered by the crowds, by the positive things that they're saying about you. Your preaching has no more penetrated their hard hearts than it did before your popularity. They speak well of you. They bring their friends to hear you. Don't be fooled, Ezekiel. Their comments and compliments are vain. They are hearers, but they are not doers of the word. They're still harboring sin in their hearts. Their actions prove that they still cling to their life of iniquity. Your message has not penetrated their heart. Dear friends, I can't think of anything more discouraging for a preacher than to come to the realization that his congregation is listening to him as they would listen to a stage performer. Charles Spurgeon had some of that in his day. He was a wonderful preacher, as many of you know. He could speak with, with great eloquence, and the Lord certainly used him to bring thousands of people to Christ. But Spurgeon knew that there were also many who came to hear him in order to be entertained. They enjoyed his voice, his presentation, his illustrations, his gripping manner. They heard his words, but they did not do them. I remember reading an account of Spurgeon walking down the street one night and meeting a man who had just come from the pub. He was staggering down the street in a drunken stupor. When he met Spurgeon, he said, Oh, Mr. Spurgeon, good to meet you. I'm one of your converts. Mr. Spurgeon replied, Yes, I can see that. I can see that you are one of my converts, for if you were the Lord's convert, you wouldn't be living this way. If you were the Lord's convert, you wouldn't be living this way. Ezekiel, indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. Congregation, how do you hear the word of God? Do you like someone at this pulpit with a lovely voice? Someone who is eloquent or dynamic? One who can keep your attention well? 
But then you go home and your heart and life remain as it was. Could there be some like that here in our midst this afternoon? You like the sermon, you like the preacher, but you don't do as he said. Is there anyone like that here today? You listen, but you do not repent. You hear the message, but you do not leave your sin and flee to Christ for refuge. You do not yield in humble worship before the Savior. If that describes you, then you are in a very precarious state. Look at verse 33. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now, it's not entirely clear what this refers to, when this comes to pass. It probably refers to Ezekiel's warnings of further judgment. When all of his words of prophecy would come true, then these people would realize how foolish they had been in being hearers of the word and not doers. You see, congregation, a day of judgment is coming for all of us. When that day comes for you, then you will know that the preaching of the word that you heard over the years was truly of God. But if you are one of those who has not responded to and obeyed the word, you may realize the truth too late. When you stand before the Lord, then you will know that the preaching was of God. He had been speaking to you, then you will know that it was his voice. But if you've been a hearer and not a doer of the word, it will be too late, too late. People of God, the Israelites experience a time of great crisis. The situation could hardly have been worse. The city and the temple were in ruins. Many were killed or brought into captivity. It was one of the darkest, saddest periods in their history. Yet many of the survivors did not turn to God. They did not turn to the Savior. They did not hear and obey the word. Dear friends, you cannot afford to follow their example. Are you hearing the word, but not hearing the word? Are you someone who has nothing more than a superficial interest? Do you listen, but think it applies only to someone else? Do you ignore his words of rebuke? Congregation, may the Spirit of God work in a mighty way in each and every one of us so that we may listen, obey, and glorify our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, may our hearts reach out to Him by the power of the Spirit so that we may be hearers and doers of the Word for the glory of the Lord. Hearers and doers. Let us pray.
Lord, again, we thank you for the one who kept your word perfectly. We can only, in faith, turn to him and know that we are accepted. We praise you, our God, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel failed in so many ways, and we fail in so many ways, but our Lord Jesus did not fail. Now we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives so that we would not be hearers of the word without being doers of the word. May we hear and may we do. May we apply. Oh Lord, we pray that you would give to every one of us that great desire to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ, living our lives every day, putting sin to death, and living for his honor and his praise. Lord, may we not view this as old stories that are irrelevant to us, but may we truly understand and see also the natural condition of the human heart. And may we look to our Lord Jesus, who alone can give us everlasting life. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the hope that we have in the one who took our judgment. And so, our Father, we pray, may he be a daily reality in our lives. Impress upon our children and our young people their need of him. So that, Lord, their lives would display your love, your majesty, your glory. We thank you for your faithfulness. We ask that as a church, oh Lord, we may truly be those who desire to apply Scripture to our lives. People may know that, yes, we are sinners, but we have a great longing to be like our Savior. So, Lord, cause us to reflect upon these things. May we learn from your judgments so that we may, by your grace, escape the ultimate judgment. Hear us in the name of Jesus. Amen.